into sports. 20 yards out, Ursa shoot, don't shoot! Oh, oh what a goal for Fabinho! Wow! Then get into the all new OTB Sports app. I think when he apologises to me, I probably will say hello to him, yeah. No. Videos, sports news, live scores, interviews. If Abregas is going to come up to me in the street and give me some of a mouth that he would have given me on a football pitch, what do we get a slap? Plus, exclusive content on the OTB Podcast Network. The biggest names in sports. Ready when you are. Search OTB Sports on your app store and download it now. The OTB Podcast Network. With Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. I'm a very confident front runner. I've carried for 33 years, 145 wins now, and that's the best win I've ever had. I have no idea what you have. I don't know. I'm, how are we going to count all the shots? Do you, I, I can't keep track. I don't think he's pleased. Of course, would. That's a, that's a particularly stupid question. If they are, show up. Of course, you want to play at the weekend. Now you're welcome along to Golf Weekly. For things that don't mix, sport and politics keep mixing just now. Golf is weirdly at the centre of it over the past week or so. Hello to Fionn Davenport. Joe, how are you? Very well. Nathan Murphy, afternoon. How's it going? And for the first time in 2021, he is the Spawell Chief. Peter Laurie, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Joe. How are you? Very well. We were just chatting there. There's no sign on the horizon of Spawell opening anytime soon. You were even muttering end of February, it could be, which is a hell of a stint. Yeah, I think so. Uh, going on the the numbers, people in hospital, um, kids off school, et cetera, et cetera. Um, educated guess, I would say, end of February. But yeah. look, when we get the nod, we'll be ready to open. Lots going on. A few tweets. P-Ball was in touch. He said, as much as I enjoyed the podcasts, two successive pods on Donald Trump is not necessary. Golf has now become a political and a direct uh, personal attack on him. Uh, maybe you should bring on a guest to talk about why the tour shouldn't visit Saudi Arabia or China, etc. Just to clarify that, people, because I'm conscious people listening abroad may not realize the Lawrence Donegan chat was not actually a Golf Weekly podcast. That was off the ball. We are of the off the ball family. That was off the ball on Irish radio on Monday evening. And we just threw it up as part of the Golf Weekly podcast. So we didn't actually do a special uh, podcast, though it's interesting that you didn't notice that Fionn, Nathan, Peter weren't there, asked no questions. Oof. So, wow. So is, he not, is he not also referring to maybe last week's podcast for the first half an hour was also all about Donald Trump? No, he is. He's saying two successive pods. Okay. So he was like, you did last week and now you did uh, you and Lawrence Donegan. So, yeah, and if uh, only it wasn't such a, like, you wonder, it's not that big a story, really. If you think about it, you know, an insurrection against the United States. Nah. Just... Uh, Eric, uh, although, yeah, yeah, I mean, people, I, while we didn't do two successive pods, I probably wouldn't keep listening for the next 15 minutes or so at the same time. <laughs> Eric Murray, Fionn has used mystery wrapped inside an enigma a few times, and it's bugging me where I've heard that saying. So after a little thinking, I remembered it was the scene from Oliver Stone's JFK. Fast forward three hours, and I'm after watching it again. Thanks, Fionn. Or it could be that it's Churchill talking about Soviet Russia as an enigma wrapped in a riddle, wrapped in an enigma, <laughs> wrapped in a mystery or whatever the quote is. But it, it's, a, it's a Churchill quote about Soviet Russia. And did Oliver Stone get it from Churchill? Of course he got it from Churchill or from Churchill. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm joking. Uh, Philip McVeigh, and then we'll get on to the bigger matters. Philip McVeigh. Uh, lads, Jordan working with Butch. Emergency pod, please. And Dave Finnan. Jordan Spieth has hired Butch Harmon. Get your money on now, lads. The greatest comeback since Christ. <laughs> uh, Golf Digest's <laughs> Dave Shedlowski <laughs> confirmed the pair were working together and tweeted as much, and everybody got excited. Butch Harmon screenshotted the tweet and said, this is not true. I have no idea who has said this. And that was that. So Spieth and Butch not working together. Spieth, 85th in the world and just lurking nicely, I think, in the long grass for 2021, Nathan. Yeah, I was, uh, I think it was Saturday night. I was just going to bed and I spotted this on Twitter. Butch and Spieth, it's everything we've ever <laughs> asked for. And I was uh, extremely excited and uh, took a deeper look. And it was very clear that this... Certainly wasn't this deeper relationship was being made out to be. Perhaps they'd had a conversation, but that he wasn't making regular trips to Vegas to spend hours upon hours with Butch. But he certainly needs something, the intervention of somebody like a Butch Harmon, which is why everyone was so excited that a sense that something dramatic is changing behind the scenes may spark some sort of a reinvigoration, which is our one overwhelming wish for 2021. Sure is. Speed return, number one, vaccine, number two. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I actually don't know whether it'd be a good idea for him to go to Butch or not. Um, he he's never swung the club. Um, what would you say? Completely orthodox. Um, he he his game was all about getting it up and down and putting well and you know limiting his really bad shots. Um, so whether going to Butch or somebody of that ilk would help him or not. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. I didn't even realize that Butch was still coaching. I thought Butch had retired. Semi-retired is the word. He's 77. Uh He's basically stopped traveling. So if you want Butch, you go to Butch. Okay, fair enough. And isn't part of Butch's genius now that he's a really good vibes man? So he has (laughs) the technicians there who can spend the time with you in the range and pick apart your swing. Hmm. But two hours with Butch and you're leaving there feeling pretty good about life. Yeah. One of Butch's disciples is Justin Parsons, who um, is the swing coach to um, Harris English. Mm. Harris English. Yeah. Who has him doing that strange sort of practice swing before he hits the ball every time. Yeah. There we are. I think, yeah, Speed just needs some vibes. And I mean, maybe he should just say to himself, I'm never going to be a good ball striker. I accept it now. I'm just going to practice the hell out of my putting again and become freakish. And that might just even help his mood and help his long game. Maybe that's the best way to do things. Because when I see him on the range re-gripping the club 20 times, I think this ain't the answer. And this is a lot of time not spent on what you're brilliant at, which is your putting. You've got to suspect with Speed's work ethic, though, that he's also spending the time on the putting. Yeah, quite possibly. Quite possibly. Maybe he just but, needs to yeah. chill out. I mean, I, that's what Butch might do for him, you know? There's that, isn't there that great story with Butch and Phil on the range and Butch was chatting to other people and Phil's grinding hard and Phil hits a shot and Butch doesn't even see it, but Phil turns to him and says, that one felt, that, 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 that felt good. And Butch said, that's the best one you've hit today. <laughs> He's the anti-Peter Lowry of coaching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, what, what I would say, and I think I said it possibly two years ago, that... Jordan needs to take a year out. Forget about golf. And then come back to it. You did say that two years ago, actually. It seems less crazy now, I have to say. (laughs) Thanks, Joe. 
No problem. Uh, Donald Trump impeached for the second time in the last 24 hours. He's now He now holds uh, two of the four impeachments of American presidents, which is impressive, really, for a one-term president. So golf gave him a kicking before all of that. Trump Bedminster, as we know, in New Jersey, set to host the 2022 USPGA. The USPGA exercised what seems is their contractual right to just revoke the agreement. In their statement, they didn't explicitly reference Wednesday, but it's all fairly obvious. They said it would be detrimental to the PGA of America brand. And apparently, according to a couple of news outlets in the States, they had been discussing this internally for the last two years. And then Wednesday was the straw that broke the uh, camel's back and all that. So, Fionn, I might come to you because uh, mm-hmm. you led the line in this. But we rode in uh, fairly happily behind you when you said you didn't see this happening. You thought they would ride out the storm in 2022, long time away, and Trump will be there at his course for the uh, US PGA of 22. And uh, no, they acted and acted quite quickly. Yeah, I, I clearly underestimated where the line was. And that line was apparently... Uh, you know, urging people to, in, to uh, well, take measures that led to the assault on the Capitol. Um, yeah, I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised that the PGA acted so decisively. And I think Nathan had said more or less what I, and I, I was thinking about it afterwards, and it seemed the, the more predictable course of action that they would make all the statements about, you know, democracy is sacrosanct in this country and, you know, blah, blah, blah. We have to protect the institutions, but say nothing. But we, other than, well, we'll be looking at everything and then in months to come, uh, just hopefully let the, the, decision, the decision slide. And then during the week, I realized, I was reminded of after he made his comments about Mexican workers when he first declared his intention to run, um, they took the uh, the they took the tournament off him at Doral, wasn't it? And they and they pushed it, wasn't it? They went to Mayakoba in Mexico. There are two precedents. So Trump National in Los Angeles was due to host the 2015 Grand Slam of golf, right. and then that was cancelled after his remarks about Mexican immigrants. And then also yeah. uh, Doral, you know, Blue Monster, famous famous course, part of the PGA for 50 odd years. Like even when you're watching. The lads back in the day, you see them playing Doral. Trump bought that in 2012 and uh, events had continued there up until the 2016 campaign. And I think it was shortly after his comments about Mexican immigrants. Yes, so okay. there were those two precedents for sure. Yeah. But but I mean, uh, Bedminster hosted the US Open, the Women's US Open. I wonder increasingly, I'd, I'd love to know if the members at Bedminster had any uh, say in this or got on to the USPGA because even there was an ugly side to that women's US Open in 17. This is not long after he's saying, hey, you can grab him by the private yeah. parts. And he's there standing, watching all these female players. There was an extra layer of grimness to that one. Mm. So I just even wonder if the folks at Bedminster themselves had maybe um, had enough and intervened in some way. I mean, I, I don't doubt ultimately... When, I mean, there was a certain honesty, uh, Nathan, when the USPGA said, well, it would be detrimental to our brand, as Lawrence mm. Donegan pointed out. It's not like they said, look, the country has to come first here. Yeah, and I think what we've seen over the last seven days is the PGA Tour and many other brands looking to distance themselves in the hope that as the records are written and as the years and the decades move on, that their strong connection with Trump will somehow be forgotten about. And maybe it works, but mm. 
we, as we said last week, we don't know what's going to develop over the next couple of years. We don't know what sort of figure Trump is going to be in two years' time and what sort of chaos is going to be surrounding him in the build-up to a US Open. So it didn't feel as though this was going to go away. I thought they would wait and wait as long as possible. But it clearly shows how corporate America has reacted to Trump yeah, over the last absolutely. seven days. Because I do think that is always going to be the driving factor for the PGA Tour as a business. And as much as you can give them whatever credit you want or not, because they've taken this long, it, like it took a coup to... <laughs> you know, yeah, we, we weren't happy with that and that, but the coup really was the final straw. There was a moment yeah. during that. There was a moment when your man was walking out with the speaker's uh, little... What, 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 how do you describe it, Fionn? Podium? Po- yeah, just, just yeah. the podium that Nancy put... There was that moment I thought... this. This might get out of, a little bit out of hand at Bedminster. I often wonder about the members of those clubs of Bedminster and even of somewhere like Mar-a-Lago. Are they all Trump supporters? Like it, The Trump family are around Bedminster a lot. It's not as if he's some absentee landlord. He's there. His family are there. They're partying. You mentioned last week Bryson DeChambeau goes there after winning the US Open to celebrate mm. with the Trump. So it's not as if the members are completely separate. So you, you could well be right that they're, half the members are sitting there going, I can't believe this guy bought this place. And I, 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 you know, I think there's a, a degree of that. And, you know, you see it in Doombeg here. Like, you'd do well to get a bad word about Trump in Doombeg. Don, uh, Lawrence Donegan was on, on Monday and, and he gave the sense that, like, a lot of those East Coast private courses wanted nothing to do with Trump and he couldn't get membership. Eventually, I think he got into one of them. But, uh, you know, effectively, all of them had looked at him with the same disdain that we hear the New York elites looked at Trump with. But he spotted places like Bedminster, distressed, went in, bought them. And look, you know, yourself, I mean, if they, the CEO or the owner is there, sure, everyone loves them. And, every, you know, what, what are you, you going to do? They're, 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 um, they're king in their own castle. But... Uh, yeah, it's an interesting question. I would, because I, I, you've got to think there's a lot of smart people in these clubs who are utterly dismayed at what's going on. One of the, in all Just, the grimness of the last week, and none of it is particularly funny in any way, but there was one thing that did bring a smile to my face was the Trump Organization statement in reaction to the PGA's declaration that they were taking away the PGA Championship next year. And I mean, Two things are for sure. One is that Trump didn't write this because there's no way he sat down and wrote. But whoever did write it went to great effort to kind of mimic Trump's voice, uh, which made me smile. So it's like we have had a beautiful partnership with the PGA of America and are incredibly disappointed with their decision. Uh, This is a breach of a binding contract and they have no right to terminate the agreement. Um, As an organization, we have invested many many millions, not just many millions, but many, many millions of dollars in the 2022 PGA Championship at Trump National Golf Club, Bedminster. We will continue to promote the game of golf on every level and remain focused on operating the finest golf courses anywhere in the world. So they're going to sue or they're threatening to sue. And and anyone who's familiar with the Trump business over, over the last 40 years is that this is a man who threatens to sue first and then you know, changes his mind later on. So, I mean, he is literally threatened to sue tens of thousands of times. Whether they actually do take cause against the PGA for breach of contract, and it is worth pointing out that the PGA have said that they are perfectly within their rights to terminate the contract under whatever clause they deem is appropriate. Um, 
is another matter. But you'd suspect that if Trump wanted to have any relationship with golf moving forward, that he would probably drop any lawsuit except lick his wounds and whatever it is he needs to do to recover the relationship with golf that has clearly been tainted by the events of the last week. Mm. So then the RNA jumped in. Martin Slumbers, they released a statement. We won't return to Turnbury until we're convinced that the focus will be on the championship, the players, the course itself. And we do not believe that is achievable in the current circumstances. It is. So they are taking action, the USPGA and the RNA. I mean, it's very noticeable in their statements. And maybe, to be fair, this is just the nature of statements and PR in the 21st century. And, you know, we shouldn't expect more of it. But like, you kind of wonder why they don't just come out and say what they're really thinking. What's happened is a disgrace. You know, why not say what's happened is a disgrace and we just don't feel it's appropriate or condemn it in slightly harsher terms? Like, they're almost saying we, we, we won't return until the focus is back in the championship. So, like, you know, Donald's a bit controversial just now. But as soon as it calms down, I mean, we've no, we've no uh, a disagreement in principle with the coup. We just don't like the heat that's on Donald right now. You know what I mean? That's been a bit harsh in the statement. But it's not exactly yeah. Peter, the RNA, coming out saying, actually, we're going to take a bit of a stand here. That Things have gone a bit far and we don't like it. There's no way the RNA would do something like that, though. They're, they're just they're such a, an old school organization that they will sort of flitter around the controversy as much as possible without sort of getting involved in it. Um, and will they ever go back to Turnberry? I, I can't see them going back to Turnberry with, a, uh, with the Trump name there, um, which is very disappointing because Turnberry is a great golf course. Um, but... Uh, all Trump golf courses now are going to struggle. And I, I, I feel very sorry for the people in doing bag mm. um, who have put so much effort and, you know, they create so much employment down there. Mm. Um, and that place is, could be, you know, the next ghost town um, with people stopping going to play. But who knows at this stage? But Trump may invest himself of his golf courses because they're just, they're, he's losing money all over the place. So, if yeah. he does, as they suggest, is going to have some financial concerns post-presidency, he might have to divest himself of certainly some of his international holdings, if not, say, Doral, which is a huge money loser for him because he has spent so much money there. So, you know, it might be just it might be just a financial decision on his part to sell them off. And on Turnbury as well, I, I know it's held a women's open and a seniors open since Stuart Sink won back in 2009. But I do remember at 09, again, everyone came away raving about the golf course. But one of the issues with Turnbury is its location. It is so remote. Mm. It's very difficult because of the way it's laid out to get the 250,000 people in over the course of a week that the open want. And we know it is the number one by far moneymaker for uh, the RNA. So while Trump is a big factor, and I'm sure they'd like to bring it back every so often, I don't think it was ever going to be on the rota the way a Royal St. George's or a Troon is or a Hoylake, that because by having it there, while it might be the most picturesque golf course that they have, there's a bit of a financial hit, Trump or no Trump for the RNA anyways. Mm-hmm. And, and Joe, the other thing about, I think the statement, and you know, it's fair enough, to feel like that they could have gone further. But as Peter said, this is like, why would they? They don't have to say anything more. And it reminds me, I don't know if you guys have all watched The West Wing, but um, 
I mean, there's a scene, I don't know, I can't remember which series it is, but anyway, when when Jed Bartlett, when they're investigating him for lying about having MS and the White House counsel is talking to CJ Craig and he goes, do you know what time it is? And she says, yeah, it's like 20 past two. And he goes, you got to stop doing that. And she's like, what? He goes, that's not the question I asked you. Just answer the question I asked you. Do you know what time it is? You answer yes or no. Don't tell me the time. So as a consequence, the RNA, that statement is exactly as much as they have to say. Hmm. They don't have to say anything else. And, um, and anything more would seen as being unnecessary. So, so in that sense, I don't have a huge problem with the statement. I mean, I thought it was like uh, Martin Slumbers, the, the, the chief executive. I mean, there's a certain amount of shade being thrown through it, like, you know, but uh, it's that kind of British subtlety rather than kind of American overt kind of, we are not, you know. Yeah, well, before was he wants Martin to... Slumbers not say... Sorry, it was Martin Slumbers not a, a lawyer. Um, oh, yeah, right. So own, In his own work. Oh, so okay. maybe he is the Oliver Babish of the RNA. Yeah. There you go. Well, before he wants to kind of be carried shoulder high for standing up to Trump too much, I mean, he, he <laughs> has said in the past Trump has been good for golf. Yeah, in has. terms of renovation, he'd be more than open to playing golf with him. February last year, he said that the only issue with Turnberry was infrastructure. So he's not been ahead of the game either here. Like golf, and, and maybe it's the broader point, Nathan, you know, golf is now taking this late stand a la Bill Belichick and many others. I mean, Jesus, Mitch McConnell's turned against Trump. So like, <laughs> <laughs> it's fairly late in the day to be seeing the light. Golf will always in history and even currently, despite this USPGA or an A situation, will always be seen as an ally in the main of Donald Trump. Absolutely. I think it'll be seen as an ally of any Republican president, because as Lawrence Donegan touched on the other night, it's hard to find an op openly liberal PGA Tour golfer. But golf is also a, a broad church in the sense of it's not just the RNA and it's not just the USGA like the players are the stars. The players are the ones who are front and center. And like 99.9% .9 of people don't know who Martin Slumbers is, but they know who a Tiger Woods or a Phil Mickelson or a Rory McIlroy is. And we haven't heard anything. Grayson Murray is the only one who I could find who really had anything to say about this. And uh, Grayson, well, Grayson's a Trump fan. And Grayson uh, enjoyed the coup. And I would say maybe if you went into some slow-mo, <laughs> maybe Grayson was there. But uh, Grayson was outraged, outraged at this decision to take it away from Bedminster and urged corporate America to set up an alternative that week on one of Donald Trump's golf courses, put a huge prize fund, and he would guarantee you all the big players would shun, shun the major and turn up at this tournament. A he got so much abuse for it, as it was pointed out five million times to him, I suspect that, well, he doesn't qualify for any majors anyway, so he doesn't really need to be worrying about this, uh, that he had to delete his Twitter account. Wow. I hadn't seen I, that. Amazing. I will say, though, that two other people in golf have spoken. Annika Sorenstam and Gary Player. Mm. Like, that was shocking. Shocking. I mean, and, and you, you mentioned Bill Belichick, Joe. So Bill Belichick is a classic true blue Republican. You know, he has been uh, his owner, Kraft, Robert Kraft, is a friend of Donald Trump's. And when you have a guy who has been largely sympathetic to the Trump agenda since Trump became president, who just goes, you know what? No, 
Now, now this, this is a bridge too far. I cannot accept the Congressional Medal of Honor from this man who, in my eyes, is guilty of this. But the day after the coup, Annika Sorenstam and Gary Player show up going, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. I mean, as Peter said, I echo that. It's absolutely disgraceful. And there's a part of me kind of thinks, well, Gary Player's older and whatever. Annika Sorenstam, are you kidding me? It's like, like... I, I will never, ever be. I, I hear that. Is she talking about coming back to start playing some tournaments? It's like, sorry. And, you know, the greatest timing. female player. Huh? The timing of it. It's horrific. The morning after. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely disgusting, frankly. Mm. And uh, What about poor old Jack? Why poor old Jack? Like, what's he thinking? You know, he, he's had this wonderful career. You know, it's cleaner than clean. You know, all the stories about the other lads. And Jack is, you know, has always come out, you know, the the, the uh, blue-eyed boy. And he hooks himself onto Trump just just at the wrong time. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, he certainly went big. I was saying it to Lawrence the other evening, if people didn't hear it. I was just curious to see, was there any fallout for him? after he came out so strongly in favor of Trump and talked about, you know, Trump has worked for the average person and we got to protect America from socialism. And, uh, you know, sure, he's a bit of rough around the edges, but don't mind, you know, that's all peripheral to the great work he's doing and so on. And he did do an interview with the Palm Beach Post and it didn't get much better for Jack, I have to say. Like two of the things which jumped out, he doesn't believe that the COVID death toll is accurate you know so he's talked about how hospitals at times are asking families to change the cause of death on the death cert to covid because he says the hospital gets more money with covid death than they do another death i'm sure there's been a lot of that i don't think the deaths are a correct number i hate to say it jack hates to say it but he's (laughs) you know uh, he, he didn't he didn't give an idea of you know to what extent he feels the number is exaggerated and then even like you know so he, he talked about socialism in his post on trump and he said to the uh, palm beach post i'm very bullish on america i'm very bullish on america i'm very bullish on america and the american dream uh, but i just think the other side is going to get taken over in socialism i don't think we need socialism in this country it's never worked any place else in the world and we don't need that here and so on he's thinking jack jack this isn't great well, you Old man yells see what's cloud. happening around uh, the vaccine distribution in parts of Florida, where obviously there's so much private health care that, mm. and that a lot of the nursing homes, the private nursing homes are these huge sprawling um, nursing sort of quarters and thousands of people living in them. But there's huge private benefactors. So when the nursing home got their segment and got their portion of the vaccine, they gave some to the people who were living in the nursing home, but the rest of them were offered to their big money donors. God, <laughs> it's just it's a rotten You see world. all the guys flying to Dubai to, to get vaccinated, all the rich people. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Go over to Dubai, get jabbed, pay for it and fly back. No problem. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, yeah, I don't know. I do. I, part of me still thinks at times because we work in the media and we just can't escape it, that's, we have a slightly different view on a large portion of the population, even, and it's not the compared to what's going on across England, even watching again last night, Jose Mourinho walking over to Scott Parker and giving mm. him a big hug. I'm like, I haven't hugged <laughs> and wouldn't consider hugging anybody that's not living in my house <laughs> yeah. for, since last March. It, yeah. Like, it, out in the open, anywhere. 
you're avoiding people as much as possible. And it just, yeah, I think it does put doubts into people's heads as to why am I doing all of this and making this sacrifice when it seems a large proportion of people just go, yeah, whatever. Yeah. We'll press on. I suspect there'll be more fallout from the Trump thing. It's a pity he's not on Twitter. I mean, to have read oh, really his reaction is. to the USPGA uh, yeah. news would have been yeah. quite something. Um, and apparently Maggie Haberman, I think that's how you pronounce her second name. I follow yeah. her on Twitter anyway. She's mm. of the uh, New York Times, but she was tweeting, you know, Trump is devastated by this. Like, <laughs> like there's Great. a fair chance he's more upset about this than he is about the impeachment. You know what I mean? He's uh, an impeachment. It'd be fine. But like he's lost the USPGA. Can you imagine how much he was looking forward to it and arriving and looking presidential again? And now it's gone. And I guess he sees the writing on the wall when it comes to golf now. So. Uh, we'll hear from him, I suspect, in due course. Tournament of Champions, Harris English, first win in seven years. Where else to break your duck but at the Tournament of Champions, which is just uh, hilarious. So uh, this season, there's a mad trend at the moment. Uh, if I was to say to you, how many uh, players who hadn't won in six years had won in this wraparound season thus far? Five already. We have had Martin Laird. We have had Stuart Sink. We've had Brian Gay. We've had Robert Streb. All of those were outside the 300 marker in the world and they've won on the PGA Tour this year. So kind of an interesting trend there. I don't have any great theory as to uh, why. We might come back to Harris English in the event in uh, a moment, but it's all about Justin Thomas, Nathan. Um, third round, missed oh. put for par. As we all do, said uh, horrific things. You know, we've all said horrific things to ourselves after we've missed a put. Uh, Thomas said, UF, homophobic slur ensued. A very, I thought, ashen-faced and sincere apology and eloquent apology straight away afterwards. It wasn't like he went to the hotel, sat down with Steinberg and his people and, and worded something and put it out on social media or it wasn't like he came back afterwards and, you know, had something prepared. It was fairly off the cuff with Todd Lewis in the Golf Channel. And then he finished third in the end, said he was very distracted across the uh, fourth round. We won't see him now until he's out in the Middle East, actually, on the European tour. But... um like this is a big enough deal. This will follow him around for quite some time, I would think. Absolutely. It was a horrendous, horrendous thing to say. And while he did speak very well directly afterwards, and I've seen some criticism that maybe he didn't go far enough, uh, there will be, I expect, a time for that as well. And he seemed quite shocked by what he had said, but clearly it's a word that is in his vocabulary. And I think for the vast majority of people... You're right, Joe. We all curse ourselves. We all get frustrated at times. But I think most people are more than aware at this stage that that's just not a word that you use in any way. And I was shocked because this day last week we spoke about, you know, potential players of the year. And one of the reasons why I would have said Justin Thomas and would feel that Justin Thomas is someone that can go and be around for the next 10, 15 years is that he comes around as such a, comes across such a well-rounded figure who has had a, a real strong upbringing, has a good sense of his values, and he has let himself down in the worst possible way. And, and this will, this will haunt him, I feel, for, for years. I, I saw the reaction online to the criticism, which is, oh, it's cancel culture, that people are going to try and get rid of Justin Thomas. He's never going to be able to live this down. People deserve, people get a second chance, but there is just one more like there's no if if there's a second fault somewhere along the line, there will be no forgiveness and nor should there be for Justin Thomas. I, I just don't understand how that is your reaction to missing a putt. Mm. Yeah. Fionn? Uh, 
I, I have to say, I don't necessarily agree with everything you said, Nathan. Um, I think obviously, obviously it's a terrible thing to be saying. Uh, he shouldn't have said it, goes without saying. But I also think, unfortunately, is, is that a word like that and words of that ilk exist or are far too common in a sporting context. Um, I played, you know, just kick around football with a bunch of lads for many, many years. And you would often hear homophobic slurs being uttered as a way of it. And, and not necessarily because they don't like gay people or anything. It's nothing to do with that is a way of expressing weakness or, or, you know, and, and it is worth pointing out that it's not about woke culture. It's about the LGBT community and just general society improving itself all the while. But, um, the first thing I thought afterwards, when when after Justin Thomas said what he said, he goes, tell me why there are no out gay people in professional football in England. Why? It's because it is still seen as something taboo, something that is uncomfortable, something that you can't do. And so a word like that, and I agree with Nathan, it's absolutely has to be part of his lexicon. Um, I would wager that his... I can't be unfair in Justin Thomas, who is one of the more likable people on, on the PGA tour is, is that can you, if there were crowds that would never have been picked up because he said it's so low, it's an empty, it's an empty golf course. So the microphones are picking up everything you say. Um, second of all, I'm going to put my foot out and say, it's actually a good thing that it happened. Uh, for the simple reason is, is that it brings one of the poster children for positive golf, Justin Thomas, uh, having said something like that. Uh, and it forces golf to interrogate or certainly people have to in interrogate the use of that word. Um, and the idea that Justin Thomas's apology, and I agree again with Nathan that but it was heartfelt. He spoke very, very well. He certainly didn't hide behind any PR spin or any of that. Like he, he seemed generally stricken by, by being, by having said it, being caught out, having said it, whatever it is. Um, but I do think because it forces that conversation once more into, into the public. And I think that this idea that like people all over the world or, you know, in golf and other sport who use homophobic slurs as a way of indicating weakness um, will maybe ask themselves, you know what? That's just not, you can't be doing stuff like that. You can't be saying things like that. It's not right. It's not, it's not correct. It's not anything. Hmm. And, and so maybe, maybe the fact that it happened is, is, is not necessarily a terrible thing. And sorry, to, to, and then to finish, I don't know that it will haunt Justin Thomas. I don't know that it will. I think, I think Justin Thomas is a smart guy. He's a likable guy. I think he made his apology. I think most people accept the apology as being heartfelt. So people will just move on. That would be my thought. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would hope he would engage with the fact that it's incredibly hurtful for members yeah. of that community as opposed to, oh, we can't say that word anymore either. Oh, okay. I won't just do it anymore. Because it's an yeah. inessential word. You know, he, he can express disdain for himself or the golf ball in a multitude of ways. We all do when we miss a putt. My go-to word is you idiot. So, My go-to word is Fion! It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Often followed by, I know what I did there. I know what I did there. <laughs> well, then I don't but, do it again. Look, then. <laughs> didn't, didn't, didn't Shane Lowry get done in, in the States for going? Uh, yeah. Remember, he hit it in the water on the right hand side, one of the parts of the trees. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, okay, he didn't say what uh, Justin Thomas said, but say, um, which is totally wrong. And I agree with Fiona. I think once his apology was made, I think uh, yeah, he can move on from there. Um, I don't think it's going to haunt him for the rest of his career. I think he made a mistake. He put his hands up straight away and said, look, I'm really, really sorry. Should never use that word. Um, and I think we've all used words before in, in, in certain situations where we, when we, when it comes out of our mouth, we go, oh, gee, you know, I, I shouldn't have said that. That's, that's totally wrong. I'm really sorry. I apologize. But say, uh, um, hmm. like See, we're all human. No, of course we are. And standards are rapidly changing at the moment. Mm. If you go back to how lexicon, yeah, I, I just, my lexicon, all of ours has changed over the last decade. You know, uh, there's a fairly lengthy list of words that have gone out of use and been retired and rightly so. Like, uh, it just is mad that Th- Thomas has gone this far. You would have to presume he may say it's not the case, but saying this word on a relatively routine basis when he makes a mistake, it has to crop up, I would think, on other occasions without stopping and thinking, one, you know, this is going to get me in trouble. You know, if I'm being cynical, this is going to get me in trouble. And secondly, this is just so hurtful to so many people. And like, Justin Thomas knows gay people. Like, you, you, you know, you go well to go through life and not know gay people. So like, he's going to have some awkward conversations this week, I would think, unless he's living in such a weirdly insulated world. You know, Lawrence Donegan said, look, country club boy and into the macho world of college golf and now on the PGA Tour, not a bastion of liberal, uh, liberal views either. Maybe he doesn't. But um, that kind of jumped out um, to me that, you know, surely, uh, personally now, he's going to be horrified this week. Uh, it, it's hard to know. The, the apology really looked heartfelt. It really looked like I'm just so embarrassed. And, and maybe he's been thoughtlessly using that word, which is not good enough. But now it suddenly made him check himself. And as you, and, and in that respect, Fiona, I, I take the point you make that it's a good thing that anyone who's using that word thoughtlessly, it's a moment where you might stop and go, God, look at the reaction to this. As for, you know, Peter, will it, will it, is he cancelled? Will it ruin his career? Is he persona non grata now? I don't think so. A little awkward in the short term, for sure. I think it's one of those things whereby uh, when this happened, I thought to myself, oh, yeah. Patrick Reed did that about four or five years ago and Kobe Bryant got fined for that. It's just something about that person that sticks with them. Doesn't, it's not your full view of that person, but it's like, that's what, that's on the checklist. That's on the CV now is maybe the way to put it. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I suppose you're right. When you, when you make a mistake like that, people unfortunately will bring it back up at, at some stage, um, especially when he's in the limelight as much as he is. Um, and he gives the persona that he is a, you know, really nice guy and, you know, sweeter than sweet. So, look, we all have our inner things that we have to get past. But um, I think after last week, I think he will try and put it behind him. That's for sure. Hmm. That was, uh, I think, uh, sorry, I think one of the things, I, mean, I agree with everything you've said, Joe, but I think the word, in the way that, like, I mean, you say that you're absolutely right. Over the last 10 years, we've seen words that, you know, lots of people um, will use thoughtlessly. All of a sudden, you've been, you've been, you know, we live in a, we live in a time where, you know what, ask yourself about the meaning of these words and what, what it says about you and what it says about the people who hear them. And, you know, but that word that Justin Thomas used, 
uh, is so is such a part of the bad language lexicon of American vocabulary. It's just like it's used as it's used as a way of it's just used as a kind of a like like a tap. You know, people use it just all the time indifferently. And and I would wager that Justin Thomas is in no way homophobic. Uh, well, I assume he is. And he's a young guy you know, grows up in the world or not consciously homophobic but uses a word that is the homophobic slur without necessarily kind of associating the meaning yeah. with homophobia. And, yeah. um, and, and this incident just forces him to reassess that, that, that make, reassess it to the point where he has to make that connection. Hmm. And, um, you know, uh, will, will it get rid of the word as, as a way of just kind of talking about weakness or anything? No, absolutely not. But yeah. I think it's I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, he's going to get fined. We'll never know how much. Kobe got well, fined 100,000. No. Um, like Justin Thomas made $490,000 this week. So yeah. whatever he gets fined, he's come out mm. on the right side of things. He's well, done just fine, you know? I mean, he maybe... Make, he could give all that money to sure. an LGBT cause. He totally should. He should donate it and he should, uh, in a very genuine way, yeah. Uh, raise some awareness about the word and about what, you know, uh, imagine Justin Thomas on his Twitter feed sitting down talking to somebody from the LGBTQ community and just saying this word, I know it's wrong, but explain to me what it represents, what it means to you. And he reaches a couple of million people and it's, you know, a, a, a really good way to try and make amends. There was a, a really interesting message in just on this theme, and then we'll get into uh, some golf as, as <laughs> uh, golf per se, but uh, Bernard H uh, wrote in. Uh, I know you know Bernard Fionn, actually. I do. I've played golf with him as well. He's a good friend. Lo yeah. Lovely fella. Uh, just may, you know, I point along the lines of what we're talking about when it comes to language. Well, lads, if JT had used the or word, and again, do I say the word? Do I not say the word? You know, it's the yeah. or word that we use when it comes to uh, people with learning disabilities. Um, he says, do you think it would get the same level of attention? Unfortunately, my feeling is that it wouldn't. I may be wrong and I hope I'm wrong, but the way that word is used within society, I feel it uh, may get some attention, but not the le same level of attention as the F word that Thomas used. I think I both, think I think absolutely correct. I think both words are extremely offensive. Don't get me wrong. I'm no angel. I have used both words in the past, either by being an ignorant bollocks or just pure immaturity. I have a son with special needs and amongst the many things he has put into perspective for me. I know that there are certain words that are extremely offensive and not to be used no matter the context. I know there's a deeper issue than a golf issue, uh, but I'm sure you will be discussing JT. And I wanted to make the point about the or word, massive friend of the pod, uh, Bernard. You know, that that came up, Nathan. I, I'm sure you remember Kevin Coban has worked on the show. And mm. a couple of years ago, David Hay promoting some fight. He went big on the or word. Like it was like every second word or this or that, you're an or, your fans are ors nobody from what I could see bar Kev who like Bernard is a father um, of somebody who would, you know, to have that word thrown around in their vicinity is just a horrible thought for Kevin. Uh, I didn't see anybody in the media or beyond say, hang on, this guy's saying the R word all the time. And it's just like on, it's on sky. It's on BBC. It's just like, it's in the papers. And Kev said, this is outrageous. And it, I mean, it's one, like, again, that is a word that has been in the lexicon of anyone in Ireland who's grown up really yeah. our age group and older. That, is, that has been there in a big way. And that was kind of a moment where I was like, my God, he's Jesus. How has this word survived? 
yeah, you're right. And I hadn't thought about it like that, that it has actually survived because when you were saying it, I would have thought that actually it was on a similar level to what Justin Thomas had said that it would be unacceptable. But like that is only a couple of years ago that David Hay felt okay to say that. And aside from Kevin, who was personally affected by it, nobody else thought to say, wait a second. Yeah. That is completely inappropriate. So you're right. Like language does change and the appropriateness of certain words does change. I would feel that that word as well is one that's very quickly, certainly not one I would expect. You're right. When, like when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, it was a word that was thrown around all the time. Yeah. I would be shocked if I heard my kids saying it now. And what is your kids? Do you, do you suspect your kids, you know, I, I totally, what Fionn's saying there about, um, homophobic slurs being used in, in commonplace when I was a you know teenager, if anything was just not cool or not good, it was just called gay, you know, like it was just that kind of a vibe. Are your kids growing up with that kind of stuff flying around? Or are they a bit young for that still? They probably are a little bit young, I think, for that sort of trying to insult somebody with that sort of language. Mm. Uh, but I'd say they're not far off. My eldest lad's nearly nine. So I'd say in the next no, couple of years, yeah. like their insults are sort of driven by what they watch on YouTube and most of that is aimed towards a younger age group. But as they get older, they're going to start watching stuff and they're part of, and, and where they will be exposed to it and where is a pretty depraved place is when they start online gaming. I remember four or five years ago at PlayStation and I don't game online, but somehow I was like, oh, I'll play FIFA online against somebody. And I ended up playing some young American kid who for the full eight minutes of the match called me every name hmm. under the sun, hmm. everything. Like hmm. It was just, it, it, it was almost impressive how quickly he could ream off <laughs> insults. <laughs> and play. But, and play uh, at the same time and, and beat me, beat me to a pulp. Uh, but that's, like, that's not far off because what they want at the moment, they're at an age where you can restrict them to just playing with their friends and yeah. they're playing when you're around. But that is what happens. They're playing against people from all over the world and it is that real childish, inappropriate, my parents aren't around, I can say whatever the hell I want. Yeah. So I'd be very naive to think that my kids aren't going to be saying whatever the language of today is that we'll be frowning upon in 20 years time. But I would really hope that they're not saying that. Yeah, I guess it behoves us all to go further when we're chatting with kids or people in our world to go further than, oh, you can't say that anymore. You know, mm. you, you like, and, and that almost uh, prompts some kind of PC gone mad. I'll say what I damn well want. It's it's not, you can't say that anymore. It's, you can't say that anymore. Here's why, mm. you know? Yeah, I, th I think that's that's the right point. And I'm just thinking more about Bernard's message and, and Kevin Kilban. We are informed and educated by the environment we're exposed to. Um, you know, so Kevin as a child with special needs, Bernard has a son with special needs and has used the experience of not just having a child with special needs, but being in the environment where, where people with special needs are part of your reality rather than some abstract concept that's far away from you. Yeah. And so it informs the things that you need to know about yourself. And, and going back to say what Justin Thomas said, I mean, I'm older than all of you. So but I would have always grown up and would have always been very much of the of, of the liberal world, you know. So many, many, many years ago, when I was um, when I was DJing, I would have been involved in Dublin, 
you know, the LGBT community, though very small, would have been very much a part of my environment in terms of like I would have known a lot of people in the gay community. But gay pride was always a small event, relatively speaking, compared to today. But it was, you know, it was brilliant. It was a lot of fun. And, you know, there was great club nights. And the, a couple of years ago, I was in Dublin during Pride. And the thing that struck me was is that every single young teen I saw around town, every single one had the rainbow colours on. And, and what dawned on me was that in a relatively short space of time, in, 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 you know, 10, 15 years, I had seen Pride go from being something celebrated by a very distinct community to something that all of the city felt that they could be a part of and enjoy. And it dawned on me how profoundly affecting that was to see young people like Nathan's kids maybe, who will grow up where being gay is just, is absolutely not even something that you would comment on. Hmm. And I thought this is this is being exposed to an environment. And I just I have to say, I it really it left a profound impact on me. Uh, the idea that it's not something that happens to other people. It is a part of our world. It's part of our life. And as such, we have an obligation then to respond accordingly. So so I, I think that's why something like what happened to Justin Thomas, who I have no idea how he grew up, country club pig, club kid, maybe whatever. But that he has been exposed to this wider environment and is forced to kind of say, you know what? Nah, I can't be doing that stuff anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and to round it up, I have most certainly used lots of words carelessly and thoughtlessly. Sure. This is not like, right, if you think I'm, we're on a high horse here, we're absolutely not. And not at all, no. Really not. Language changes all the time and been absolutely part of that. Um, it's funny, even yeah, what you're saying just there, I was watching Operation Transformation last night no less and there is a we'll talk about that another time <laughs> yeah i watch it all the time uh, it's, yeah. it's a, oh, it's i wish i had please, a celebrity please. version i could get on it's yeah, for, yeah <laughs> it's actually uh it's great tv it's really well made tv i have to say it's really good uh, i wouldn't watch many of that kind of those kind of things which i, I can see the dismissive look in your eye Fionn, but trust me it's it's, no, well, no, no, it's, no, it's no. well it's well made tv it's really good insight into people but there's a married couple a married gay couple and you know, there's a bit of backstory at the start. And, and um, so 33 years old, uh, I forget his name. He was on it. But I mean, um, like almost needless to say, because of the area he grew up in, in Ireland, he was bullied massively in school. Sure. Like nothing sure. Of course he was, you know, and he's in tears about it 10, 15 years later. And all the lads who threw all the slurs at him have got on with their lives. I'm sure probably haven't thought too much about it since. And uh, that's, you know, the price you pay. And he's, he's still coping with it, dealing with it. We'll draw a line under all that. So Tiger Woods documentary before time comes against us. Quite a few friends of the pod in touch. Samuel Gilliand. Anyone know where I can watch this Tiger Woods HBO documentary in Ireland, please. And uh, interesting, by the way, and, and this can segue into you giving us your thoughts, Nathan. So where I first realized this had been aired was Lisa Cornell, uh, once again, popping up in our world, having a right go at Alan Shipnook, who's on the documentary and the documentary. She tweeted one word for the HBO documentary on Tiger Woods, disgraceful. He's a private citizen. He was forced to face his demons publicly, which he did and became a better man. All of those sellouts, that's probably, probably Alan Shipnuck in this case. Nick Faldo's on it as well, I know. All those sellouts should be ashamed. 
And then somebody said, what's your main beef with the documentary, Lisa? Well, since Alan Shipnuck chose to be in the documentary and like your tweet, she replied, I've no problem answering. Bringing in a former mistress 13 years later to sell this trash is disgusting. Um, and then another tweeter was in touch with her and she said, you think getting a former mistress from 13 years ago to be the ultimate teaser leading up to part two of this documentary is the way to go? Seriously, man, who raised you? So she was going to town on it. I think there was a... Obviously, a teaser to part two is what she's talking about. She thought that was especially grim at the end of part one. Uh, have you seen both or just? No, so I, I'm, and I'm not sure whether she's seen both um, because part two is only officially released in the USA, I think, this coming weekend. So I've just seen part one and I can't find anywhere online where it says when it's going to be broadcast in Britain and Ireland because I know there is a Sky documentary that's been out for the last few, few months uh, that has been up on Sky documentaries that I think people are getting confused with so whether it's for legal reasons because i guess a lot of what is in it and because yeah. of the different libel laws though the book as far as i know was released the book that we've read um the tiger woods book is the same in america as it is over here and basically if you've read the tiger woods book and i think we did our part in terms of sales of the book by jeff benedict and armin ketien and he was on the show uh, not, since, it is. Uh, not since shane ryan has an author <laughs> otis so <Yeah>. much <laughs> so they're executive producers of this documentary so it is a film version of the book by and large but it's still well worth watching because of the characters and it brings to life so many of the stories from his first girlfriend dina who you'll remember from the book they had this brilliant close relationship where tiger could be a different tiger, a different version of the tiger we've ever seen. And you see that she has uh, home video footage of tiger as I presume he's 16, 17 at this stage, and uh, maybe even just a little bit older at parties and just really relaxed and the life and soul of the party and taking part in everything. And you're looking at him and goes, wow, like this is not a tiger woods I have ever seen. She has the letter that is in the book. That is one of the standout moments of the book. That is this formal letter almost announcing the end of, their relationship that while it is written by tiger is in the voice of his parents so she is in this first part of the documentary quite a bit they have his kindergarten teacher talking about the influence of his parents from a young age nick faldo's in it steve williams is in it which i was quite surprised by and this is unauthorized uh, mark steinberg's been out again during the week sort of moving tiger away from this but it, it didn't feel in part one there was a lot of new news in terms of Tiger, it does finish. That part that they're talking about, the very end of the documentary is Rachel Ushital just taking her seat in front of the camera and sort of moving herself around awkwardly. And this goes on for about 30 seconds and she doesn't speak. And so obviously it's building up to the real, yes, salacious, gossipy stuff. And what I really liked about the book was it was a sort of, maybe, maybe I'm remembering it wrong. It, it felt at the time as if it was something of a 50-50 split between the real juicy gossip, but also a good memoir of Tiger's genius and how he came to be that genius and how dominant he was and some good insights into that spell around 99, 2000, 2001, where he was so dominant. There's not a huge amount of that in this. There's some shots of him winning the Masters and there's little bits and pieces. There's, the, there's talk inside his first conversation with Nike around that ad. Uh, I, so if you're going to it looking for sort of a, a memory of Tiger on the golf course, you're not going to get that. But it, part one is a lot like what dominates the book, which is his relationship with his father. And he has, I think it's Tiger's first golf coach who 
ended up being quite friendly with Earl and he's the one you might have seen some of the trailers where he's like he's not gonna like this shit where he's talking about <laughs> how himself and Earl basically treated women right. and how they would bring many many of them back to the golf club and um yeah there's a lot that doesn't reflect well on Earl and the debate I think is still the same as post the book of for Tiger's off course indiscretions how much of that do you lay at the door of his upbringing and of Earl and of what he was exposed to Mm. and I'm still no closer to an answer when will it be available for us to watch Nathan as in us personally that's what I'm saying there's no I haven't been able to find anywhere online any um anything right. to suggest when it just would be it's i think it's hbo which generally ends up on sky sky atlantic yeah yeah which ends up on sky atlantic so i'm surprised it hasn't been hasn't been out yes right. um, uh, do you think that lisa cornwell's tweet i mean she really kind of goes to town and shipnook doesn't she and shipnook's defense is interesting he's like look i think it humanizes him she's you know? not a disinterested party it must be stressed as you know because you listen to the no laying up um yeah interview exactly. she did. yeah and i hadn't realized this until that that uh, Lisa Cornell, obviously, I think she was Alabama state champion three times as an amateur, but she uh, played with Woods a lot growing up. Very friendly yeah. with Woods, on the yeah. range with him, played rounds with Tiger Woods growing up. Knew Earl, you know, Earl gave her some lessons a couple of times or uh, certainly on one occasion, which she described in the podcast. So uh, there is a very direct link between her and Tiger. She's yeah. not like the rest of us who, you know, don't know the man personally. And so it's probably that bit easier to just be... Um, feverish about the gossip and not really too worried about the impact a documentary like this will have on his kids no and Shipnook is there and doesn't isn't a huge part of the documentary I think he might only be on it once and I think as a Robert Lusitek is there as well because it is aimed at a far greater audience than just golf nerds and I was saying this to you that Michael a part of it is sort of almost explaining what the Masters is yeah and how important the Masters is in the world of golf so it's at that level of explanation. If you're coming from the outside and you know that Tiger Woods is a superstar, but you know very little else. So that's what they're there for, just as those placeholders to keep it ticking along and give that level of, of, of explanation. But what she's doing there is putting herself in Camp Tiger, whereas we know everybody who appears in this, you have to assume, is now on the outside. That's mm. why I was surprised to see Steve Williams. I hadn't realized this. I don't know if there's been a breakdown in the relationship, but that Steve Williams felt he was in a position to go on a documentary like this. And oh yeah, I think I think the Steve Williams book pretty much paid, put paid mm. to that relationship. So that is over. Tiger was best man at Stevie Williams's wedding, right? Mm. Yeah, but sure. So. It wasn't that always going to happen when when Steve Williams went to caddy for um, Adam Scott mm. and came out with the line, "Hundred and forty-five wins." <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah. my best ever one. Like that was really sticking it to Tiger, wasn't it? <laughs> So it's just such a stupid. Like, what can you say? <laughs> but the the you, you can tell like they set their stall out very early as to how they certainly want part one to go because it starts with Earl's speech when Tiger's just breaking onto the scene and he talks about him bringing uh, humanitarianism that's never been seen before in this world that the world would be a better place because Tiger has lived and that is the weight of that is sort of carried through the entire first part of this that Tiger was never able to live up to that off the course and clearly could while he was on mm. the course. I'd be interested to see just how far and how deeply they go into the more salacious stuff because it's, I presume, going to start the night of the um, incident Irons. where Elon yeah. finds out and legally what they can get into and what they want to get into and also where it finishes because there has been 
the last 18 months since the book came out where like Tiger found redemption on the golf course. He's won the Masters since, yeah. since the last book. But clearly people have a good... It's, it's, it's going to be great, I'd expect, from a Tiger point of view. Oh, yeah. I, I, think, I think part two... I was listening to the No Lane Up guys. I think part two gets, gets into it. Which is classic. You know, if you're selling TV, that's what you want. You want to you want to keep the good stuff till the second episode. You certainly don't want to you don't want to you don't want to waste your best bits in the first. Like, I guess as well, you're going chronological, and to understand what happened, increasingly it's become very apparent to all of us. You really have to understand as much about the Earl situation as possible. You sure. know, there's there's probably layers of the Earl situation because a long time ago we still you know haven't been fully able to document or find evidence for you know these are just it's lucky that guy still works at the driving range or remembers what happened or you mightn't kind of know those kind of stories you know so i guess it makes sense to do the earl stuff to explain the second stuff does that get like so a question open to interpretation but like it's to what extent you give tiger a total free pass for some of the behavior you know we guess it depends to what extent you believe we're all just the product of our environment i mean where i would have sympathy with lisa cornell's attitude is is that for right or wrong, Tiger Woods has been under a microscope in a way that no other golfer ever in the history of the game has, you know, has done so. And not Arnold Palmer, not Jack Nicholas, not anybody, not Walter Hagen, not Ben Hogan. None of those guys have ever been spotlighted in the way that Tiger Woods has. So by highlighting Tiger Woods' indiscretions, does it then create the impression that the greats of the game weren't guilty of similar or their own indiscretions. I mean, you know, it, it's one of the worst kept secrets in golf is that Arnold Palmer had uh, at his own indiscretions. Um, but, you know, no, you know, no, nobody it doesn't impact on his reputation, doesn't impact on his legacy. It's it's belongs to a different time. Um, you know, so I have sympathy in that regard, in the sense of like, you know, Tiger Woods didn't commit a crime. You know, he has never committed. He's not, like, he's not guilty of any crime. He DUI. Mm. Oh yeah, okay, fine. He's so not he's OJ Simpson. Of, <laughs> he's not. Sorry, yeah. I was being pedantic there. <laughs> but my point is, is that like, you know, like, and I know we've discussed it ad nauseum on the pod over the years, but like, you know, he, he's at worst, he's he's at worst guilty of being a shitty husband. You know, and yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. yeah, I think that that is the one. It is the biggest sporting scandal in one way because of what happened that night where it all started to unravel. Whereas he is not, by any stretch of the imagination, the first or last golfer, sports person to Human have been being. up to similar things. Mm. So part of it, I guess, was that he had been built up for the previous decade, 15 years by everything that Earl had said, by everything all the advertisers had said, that he was this God-given talent, God-given person that everyone had so much respect for. And then it all ended in such disgrace. The one thing that was missing from the documentary, though, was I was hoping I was hoping she might turn up. Uh, I hope she's still alive. Was the person who owned the house in Augusta. Oh, yeah. Because the one that, that, that actually didn't come across in part one okay that sort of callousness that was there from earl and tiger of how they just treated people in general yeah in day-to-day for, life. for me that's the defining aspect of the book far more so than the scandal mm. that's that's in a perverse way again i'm not suggesting everyone's off having affairs but like that's the really different unique 
interesting aspect of Woods' personality. Not that like famous man slept with women throwing themselves at him. It's that he was just like, it seemed based on the book, rude 24 mm. seven. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, expected everything to be handed to him on a plate. And he, and that, that did come from Earl when you right. read the book that, yeah. that when, uh, which I, I was surprised in a way to see one of those coaches there, because from reading the book, what Earl was brilliant at all the way, along was getting better coaches involved with tiger never paying them sort of promising them that when this guy makes it well obviously you're going to be the guy coach tiger woods but that never happened and wherever they went they never had to pay for anything and even when tiger really did make it and started going to vegas and started hanging out with michael jordan still wanted everything for free still wanted as a multi-multi-millionaire would go to the nightclub that offered him the private room for free all night. Oh God! And the stuff in Augusta, on a load of different levels, from what it did to Marco Mira when he went in and started taking the house and never paid for it, and would leave the house destroyed, and uh, you know wouldn't pay for any of it, wouldn't pay for any of the destruction he caused, wouldn't pay for his telephone bills at a time when he, I think he was ringing Elon in Sweden uh, four or five times a day, and this woman of average wealth is left picking up the tab all the time mm. and actually wasn't that the story that after that masters where he was ringing elon she finally had had enough this woman rang tiger's people to complain and they said oh very apologetic send on the bill and uh the money came back in a check with the telephone bill with all of tiger's calls highlighted and they were the only ones that they actually paid for mm. <laughs> it's almost as though actually really isn't like other than yeah maybe be, being guilty of being a shitty husband is, is the worst crime of all is being a cheap like a skin flint <laughs> it's like when you're that's just horrific but it was also that like the, the time he met this woman after staying in the house for several years when omira had won and he was across to check what time they were leaving at and finally she was like oh my god tiger hi i'm the person who owns the house you've been staying in all these years and like he just blanked her yeah he yeah said nothing to her and just said Mark wants to know when we're leaving to Mark Amir's wife. They just yeah. left the woman standing there. If that's true, as that's recollected in the book, it's just like far more than all the affairs. Throw in another hundred affairs on top of that. That will stay more with me in some ways. Yeah. Well, that's it's also worth, I mean, his relationship with Mark Amira is mm. also gone. Yeah, it's very sad. Very sad. Like he, you know, I watched a thing on, on Sky Sports about Mark Amira recently and, uh, and he was interviewed and he and he, he spoke very sorrowfully about his relationship right. with Tiger Woods. To be fair, though, genuinely, and it was this was more of a question when the book came out, I remember. And we're now 18 months to two years on from that publication. One of the question marks then was, is this Tiger we've been seeing a little bit lately just, you know, made up? Is this a public thing? I think two further years on, increasingly, I think there's been a genuine change in Woods. Who knows? Has, yeah, has he not grown up eventually? Yeah, I think he's plummeted depths has and that's forced, oh, oh, that's forced a certain yeah, oh, growing up. Exactly, yeah. 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 Well, he is 45, so... Um, you know, because there's, like to think. Yeah, there's so many stories out there and so many stories that never hit the press that of his... <laughs> Peter, my phone's ringing. That's, like that's, the, that's the knock, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was right. waiting for Peter to come uh, in and go, if you uh, think Tiger and, was bad... Uh, you know, no. <laughs> Let me give you a few names. Yeah. Yeah. I nearly, uh, I nearly, actually, I was just about to say, you know, you think Tiger's the only person you... I'll be honest, listeners, I've just muted Peter on Zoom. 
<laughs> Genuinely. <sighs> Peter, Peter, I know you can still hear us. Just have a think about what you're about to say. And I'm going to unmute you now, okay? It, it. Hang on, I need to unmute him here. Ask to unmute. <laughs> How do, do I you unmute think, you? Have Fionn, you muted Fionn, yourself? While, he, while he's doing that, Fionn, do you think if Tiger had you're back a different personality and had treated people better along the way that he would have been the golfer he was? I don't. I I, I think that's a very good question, and obviously without being his psychiatrist, I'd I'd wager that there's a strong suspicion that the answer would be no. Um, because that ability to focus laser-like on one task to the exclusion of all else um, leads invariably to a kind of an immaturity in a whole bunch of other regards, like, you know, the ability to kind of treat others as as you'd expect others to treat you. So don't you kind of end up, I mean, it's a classic thing of genius where you kind of just end up operating inside a bubble and, uh, you know, you are either blithely unaware of those outside of it, or you deliberately unaware of them, and um, and that becomes a pattern, and, and so mm. on and so forth. So, because... and and sorry, just to finish the point is is that like it's I, I always think of the of the many many things that Rory McIlroy has said over his ten plus years or more. We were doing is so well. One of the most interesting things and really kind of insightful things is that I don't want to end up. Like, I don't want to be Tiger Woods. I always thought that was such an interesting thing. Uh, Peter, sorry about that. That was a cheap gag on my part. I knew you wouldn't have let us down. Yeah, Backfire yeah. spectacularly, yeah. Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. What were you going to say? No, you can, yeah. I, all, all I can say is, hey, um, <laughs> no, I better not. Um, no, look, I, See, I, I would agree I was, with I was, the lads I was there. actually right to mute him. <laughs> yeah, no, you weren't. I, I, I would agree with the lads completely. You have to be the guy who can, um, as you would call it, shoot the lion um, and have that killer instinct um, to do what Tiger Woods did. And I personally don't think too many people have that um, as he has had in the past. Um, and that's why he won so much. He was able to, uh, as Sean said, his laser-like focus on one task and one task only, and nothing else mattered. And I mean mm. nothing else mattered. While other people have possibly sub, some conscience, con- conscience there, um, he in his prime, I would reckon, had zero. Um, it was all about getting over the line, winning, um, and after that, nothing else mattered. A counterpoint, a counterpoint to put to you would be, fellas, Jack Nicholas seemed to have uh, fairly okay-ish under the circumstances, relationship with lots of his competitors, walks off Turnbury, arms around Tom Watson, and Jack Nicholas wins 18 majors. So it's entirely possible. That worked for Jack Nicholas. Yeah. Yeah. Also, yeah. Jack Nicholas, um, uh, maybe at different priorities, uh, between the late 60s and early 70s, I think he went. Uh, you know, a decent spell without winning a major. And he always put it down to us that like I had other priorities. I wanted to work on my family. I took care of, you know, I was having children. Uh, I think his well, children was, were all born around that time. So he, he, he was, he was looking West. He did not like the socialism that was coming his way. Well, yeah, obviously, was, you know, there was a lot a on his mind. work against Joe Biden's kind of insane socialism. Yeah. Well, it's, it makes you, you realize, okay, do you remember, was it in 2012 
what's her face? Uh, Sarah Palin. <laughs> what's, what's oh, her face? <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you remember Sarah party. Palin? And yeah. Sarah Palin yeah. was so kind of out there with it, like, oh, sounds an awful lot like socialism to me. Yeah. You know, and you're like, going, what do you like? And YouTube, you? YouTube still knows I can't resist Sarah Palin, Diane Sawyer. Uh, you know, oh, who, do like who do you think's in Alaska? Who do you think's in Alaska? Keeping an eye on the Russians. On Russia. We are. I can see Russia from my, my, my window. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I can see Russia from my window, and I saw. And this is I, I saw someone who. Um, uh, this is not mine, but I saw someone who said, it, 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 remember we were, I think we mentioned it last week, the guy who went up to that pizzeria in DC mm. thinking that that's where the QAnon people were. That was four years ago. And is like, who knew that that kook who actually ended up apologizing and being mortified for having believed any of the nonsense that led him to take a gun, walk into a pizzeria looking for a pedophile ring. Who knew that four years later, there'd be like thousands of them, you know? Hmm. Uh, to wrap things up, Sony Open. So yes. they have uh, hopped in the plane from Maui and they're over in Honolulu. Tournament of Champions, by the way, had the strongest field last week since world rankings began in 1986. They had eight of the world's top 10 players, as I'm sure you know. Of those eight, only two have continued on to Honolulu, Morikawa, Webb Simpson. Uh, Justin Johnson, very busy in February. We'll see lots of him including Saudi Arabia and Pebble Beach. John Ram is playing pretty much every week of the West Coast. Justin Thomas heading to Abu Dhabi next week. So a few of them have uh, bade farewell to Hawaii and moved on. The leaderboard, I mean, I was just going to say, then please come in, Peter, but I was just going to say, Harris English and uh, Neiman went to the playoff and English birdied the last hole in regulation and the playoff to win. But then... Uh, the leaderboard bodes well for a nice 2021 season. Like in third, Justin Thomas, fifth, Shoffley, seventh, Bryson, John Ram with his new equipment, seventh, uh, Colin Marikawa, seventh, and then 11th, Dustin Johnson back in very nice form, Sergio in decent form, and Daniel Berger as well. So a lot of the big names actually kind of pitched up in, in decent form. Sorry, Peter. I was going to say not a bad week for John Ram with his new equipment. Yeah. Um, you know, first week out. Uh, plus, you know, tough enough golf course in the conditions with the wind, should I say, to be able to control the ball if yeah. it wasn't like, you know, throwing darts out there. So well, um, we, we were we were forecasting uh, potential doom here for Ram. So maybe in the next week or two, we might chat to you a bit about equipment and a professional's relationship with his equipment, the golf ball, all the various clubs in the bag. I think that could be interesting because obviously, look, we use as soon as we slice one OB, we just grab whatever balls in our bag next and stick it down and away we go fellas we're um pretty much done i think nathan any other business no i think we're done enjoyed the tournament of champions uh bryson i was watching back some of the highlights to remind myself this yeah. morning bryson on the 72nd did you see this no uh, is eagle to finish up uh middle of the fairway off the tee 244 yards seven iron in uh and leaves himself with a nice little five footer for eagle that's what we're dealing with. He's working with the, he's work. Did we mention this last week? He's working with that world long drive champion yeah. or he's certainly in conversations with him. Yeah. That's he, the- he's told him the secret of, of his arm speed. Um, this, I can't remember his name. It's terrible. I should remember his name. The long drive guy. Um, and he has improved Bryson's speed uh, by a couple of miles an hour with this secret. The secret of arm speed. 
the secret that he uses for his arm speed to hit the ball in, in, right. in the long driving contests. What could that be? No. Swing your arms as fast as you can. Don't worry about it, Joe. Don't worry about it. You don't <laughs> yeah, need it. Trust me. Just try and get it on the fairway. Hey, you listen. and Laura Davis, you know, those hackers out there. Yeah. I did. I did. Uh, with Laura Davies on, uh, we must put it up as a podcast on the Golf Weekly thing as well. I did put us on a level together. I said, us hackers, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> uh, put that up. We and put that up. And uh, Owen actually and was on OTBAM this morning. He had. Oh, Scott, wasn't it? Yeah, Steve Scott, the guy Tiger beat in the US amateur. Yeah, that was a good guess. Was, I must listen yeah. back to it. Did you catch it? I didn't yet, but it's, I'm going to have a listen now. So we might put the two of them up. Yeah, uh, Laura Davies, very impressive. I hadn't realized she'd won 85 professional events. Like that's kind of obnoxious, really. Uh, seven order merits in Europe, 22 years apart. Uh, top DL PGA list as well. Won her first major at 23, 24, won four majors. The mad thing as well is that she only picked up golf at 14 and then at 16 borrowed a thousand quid from her mom and stepfather and went off to try and be a pro. And won her second tournament, won 9,000 grand, 9,000 grand, nine grand, paid back the uh, parents, the grand and the rest is history. But like, wow, insane stuff. I, I played in the ANZ, the one that she got invited to. Oh, no, four, um, did you? Yeah. I didn't see your quote. I saw Greg Norman calling it a gimmick and Monty saying, where does it end? And Ernie L saying, we can't keep doing this. I didn't see Peter Laurie saying, you know, didn't no girl, no girl, no I, girls I, allowed. I was a rookie at that stage, yeah. but I remember I remember her playing, and I remember the the talk about it, um, and, and some of it wasn't nice. Really? Yeah. Okay, I'm way out of time. I'm going to pick you up on that next week as well because I was interested in that. Have a listen, everybody, to Laura Davies. We'll put it up as a podcast, and you'll then know what we're going to talk to Peter about next week. It's when Laura became the first female player to play in a men's European Tour event. This was hot on the heels of Michelle Wee doing it at the Sony, and Annika mm-hmm. Sorenstam. Our beloved Annika. Uh, <laughs> I'm from strength to strength. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Congratulations to Annika and Gary. Is how we'll yeah. we're, we're all winner. delighted for you. <laughs> all right, fellas. Talk to you next week. Cheers. The OTB Podcast Network. With Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. 